If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to Luke chapter 23, starting to read at verse 26 to the end of verse 43. Luke chapter 23 at verse 26. We hear God's word. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine with vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. This is God's word to us today, and we give thanks to him for it. What's so amazing about grace? One of my favorite books has that same title by Philip Yancey. What's so amazing about grace? And in it, Yancey states that grace is amazing because it is so scarce in our world. It is so rare in our day-to-day living that when we stumble across it, it is simply amazing. That's why I count it a great privilege to be with you this morning and to bring you a message about God's grace, his unmerited favor, his unearned forgiveness, simply Because he loves you. 
And I pray that you would leave here today knowing God's amazing grace in your life. I pray that you would know his grace to be so real in your life that even though you've broken the heart of God over and over and over again, he offers you forgiveness through his grace. Of course, illustrations of grace and non-grace are all around us. I will never forget the best picture of non-grace the day I got a ticket on Highway 7 in one of our former towns of Markham. It is a four-lane highway that runs right through the center of the city of Markham at some spots at 50 kilometers an hour. A highway at 50 kilometers an hour. This particular area must have been one of the favorites of the police of the town because they were out in force. Four police officers standing below the crest of a hill pulling four cars over at a time. I was one of them. You were going 75 in a 50 zone, sir, she said. It was a spring day. I had my windows open, and I looked behind me down the road. And then I purposefully looked ahead of me, because there in front of me, just meters away, was a sign that said, 70 begins. And she noticed my look, and she said, it's 50 here. It's 70 there. There was no bending of the rules. There was no exceptions. There was to be no grace, no unmerited favor. I had to pay the penalty. It's a picture of non-grace. And there is no better picture, no better living demonstration of grace than our passage this morning. Here is grace in all its godly wonder and beauty in the midst of humanity's degradation and cruelty. If you've ever wondered what what God's grace looks like, if you've ever wondered the extent of God's grace, if you've ever wondered about the breadth of God's grace, if you've ever questioned the application of God's grace, here it is pictured for us. God incarnate, Jesus, dying on the cross, practicing grace giving grace. There he hangs on a cross between two thieves. His hands feel like they are on fire from the nails that they've driven into them. His ability to breathe has become increasingly hard as he hangs there. He can feel his lifeblood oozing down his back and over his brow. He's in deep, deep physical pain. He bears the brunt of the ridicule and the mockery of the crowd. And even one of the criminals hurls insults at him. We read at verse 39, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. (laughs) You can almost hear the laughter in his voice. And then a most unexpected thing happens. Someone speaks out in Jesus's defense. It's the other thief. 
No one had been paying much attention to him. He had joined the crowd in their ridicule of Jesus. We read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 44, in the same way the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. But now his ridicule has changed to rebuke. He's had a change of heart. Rebuking the other criminal in Luke 23, verse 40, he says, Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And you can see it in your mind's eye. Jesus painfully and slowly turns his head toward the thief who speaks a word in his defense. And his eyes focus on him. It takes a moment. And after his confession of guilt, the criminal offers a simple prayer. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers with these words at verse 43. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a picture of grace. Do you see it? Do you see its dimensions? Can you see the wonder of it? Do you see the implications? Can you see why the hymn writer John Newton called this grace amazing? Let me explain four truths. First, God's grace is amazing because it extends to all time. God's grace is offered to us when we're born, when we're middle-aged, when we're old, and even when we're on the brink of death. God's grace is extended to us at all times. This is the testimony of Scripture. For instance, here is a young Christian man we read about in the New Testament, and his name is Timothy. He's brought up in a godly home with a mother of faith called Eunice and a grandmother of faith named Lois. And he never knew a time when God was not present in his life or part of his life. So that at a young age, he places his faith in God's son, Jesus Christ. He remains faithful to God throughout his life with the help of a mentor named Paul. Uh, He encourages him, Paul does, and he corrects Timothy to serve our Lord joyfully throughout. And Timothy does. He experiences God's saving grace at a young age and throughout his life. On the other hand, here is a thief on a cross. It is the last possible moment. And he utters a prayer of repentance and faith and is snatched from the fires of hell like a burning stick. One day, he is a hardened criminal. The sinner of the worst kind. The next day, he's walking on the streets of paradise. One commentator by the name of J.C. Ryle writes, The whole gospel leads us to believe that both, both Timothy and the thief on the cross are equally forgiven before God. Both are equally made new and pure by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Both are now right in God's eyes. Both accepted and both will be found at Christ's right hand in the last day. 
God's grace extends to all times. Now, something of a problem arises for those of us who have been in the faith for years. For those of us Timothys who have worked for God for years, this seems grossly unfair. We have to be careful. (laughs) Examine your heart. If you feel this way, you need to repent. Because the truth is, God says to Moses in the Old Testament book of Exodus, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It is a humbling fact. We need to realize that we cannot claim any self-righteousness before God. Not even length of service. We cannot say, well, God, I recognized Jesus as my Savior years and years ago. Of course I should be let into your kingdom. But he just recognized you as Savior just before he died. He lived a life without you all these years. He shouldn't be allowed into your kingdom. And God says, oh, yes, he should. The truth of the matter is that true faith in Christ, even if it is a day old, declares us at not guilty before God as completely as a faith of someone who has followed Christ for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. A Christian who has had faith in God for 70 years will stand with the same righteousness on the day of judgment as the one who has had faith in the last minute of life. Both are saved by grace alone. Both owe all to Christ. That's what makes God's grace so amazing. It extends to all time. Or you may be thinking, well, I've missed God's grace. If I had accepted his unmerited favor years ago, then I would be saved. But it's too long now. God must have rescinded his offer to me. It's too late for me. No! A thousand times no! God's grace extends to all time. But be warned. If you have not repented of your sin and received Christ as Savior and Lord, do not think it is safe for you to put off repentance until the end of your life. If you think that way, you are seriously misled. The truth of the matter is, the longer people refuse to obey Christ's voice today, the less likely they'll obey it tomorrow. If you aren't paying attention to Christ's offer of forgiveness and favor now, what makes you think you're going to accept it with your last breath? I would say you'll be much more hardened toward Christ and his offer of salvation later than you are now. Scripture said now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So listen, few are saved on their deathbeds. Again, in the words of J.C. Ryle, one thief on the cross was saved that none should despair, but only one, so that none should presume. 
And Warren Worsby writes this, If you think you're going to wait till the last minute to trust Jesus as your Savior, how will you know when the last minute will come? And not only that, but the thief is not an example of a sinner saved at the last opportunity he had. He's an example of a sinner saved at the first opportunity he had. We have no reason to believe that this man had heard Jesus preach before they met at Calvary. When he had his first opportunity, the thief trusted in Jesus Christ. That's what every lost sinner should do. That's what everyone here is called to. Believe in Jesus Christ now. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. God's grace extends to all time. Second, God's grace extends to all people. In society's eyes, this thief was a despicable man. Some scholars suggest that the thief and Barabbas are connected. The thief was probably a follower of Barabbas, whom you'll remember, Luke tells us earlier in the gospel, was thrown into prison for insurrection, riot, political rebellion, for murder. Barabbas was slated for crucifixion too, you'll remember, but he was released by Pilate. And the irony of the whole thing is not lost on us. A man who is guilty of insurrection is released, but a man who is innocent of <coughs> insurrection is crucified. And the wonder of it, I mean, it's, it's a living picture of substitutionary atonement. Whoa, right there. But back to the thief on the cross. There he is beside Jesus, probably a follower of Barabbas, a murderer, a rebel, a thief, and he is told that a place in heaven is reserved for him. God's grace extends to all people. My friends, never think that you're outside the realm of God's grace. His grace extends to the highest and to the lowest, to the best and to the worst. There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you have said. There is nothing that you can do to remove you from within the reach of God's grace. You can think as the writer David of Psalm 139 thought, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. You can think that the darkness of your sin will hide you from the grace of God, but it will not be possible for even the darkness is as light to God, but the darkness is not dark to God. His grace extends to all people, no matter what their status, no matter what their state, no matter what their stature. And again, for those of us who are secure in God's love, this is important for us to remember. Because sometimes we get to thinking that God's grace is only for us. For those of us who are approved who live a certain way, who think a certain way, who look a certain way, who behave a certain way. And we think grace can't be for them because they are one of us. We need to examine our thoughts and our hearts. 
Because the truth of the matter is, God's grace extends to all people, and we believers should not think that it is limited to a certain group of select people. We who look a certain way, or cut our hair a certain way, or act a certain way, God's grace is for all people. And this is important for faith sharing, isn't it? Sometimes we think some people are so far out of the reach of God's grace, and we give up hope. Now, here's that uncle we've been praying for. He's lived a hard life of drinking and high-risk gambling. Or here is that neighbor friend, just the nicest person you could ever want to meet, but she refuses to have anything to do with God and his church. And in both cases, we believers sometimes think that case is hopeless. There is no way God can reach them. There's no way that God will be able to turn that uncle around. There's no way God will be able to melt the hard heart of that neighbor. But listen, that's wrong thinking. God's grace extends to all people. And listen, I'm preaching to myself. I have a sister. I, I have relatives that are so hard. And I think, oh, what will it take, Lord? And I pray, and I pray, and I pray. But listen, listen, Tom, you need to hear this. I need to hear it. God can reach them. We need to remember that God is able. He is a God whose grace reached the criminal on the cross. Here is the God whose grace reached me. And it reached you. You. And if it reached you, and it reached me, God's grace can reach all people. It is a grace that extends to all time. It is a grace that extends to all people. Third, it is a grace that extends beyond all that we ask. The thief says to Jesus, remember me when you come into my kingdom. Uh, When you come into your kingdom, sorry. He asks only to be remembered, to be thought of. It's as if he said, Jesus, in your kingdom, I know, I know that all the righteous will have a place and there will be places of honor for the patriarchs and for the prophets and for your 12 apostles. But in that day, Lord, do not forget this poor thief who put his trust in you. Show him a little portion, at least, of your loving kindness and mercy. But Jesus answers and says, today... You will be with me in paradise. Immediately, at once, first of all, among all those redeemed from sin after the death of Christ, he was to be admitted into paradise, the highest of heavens. No obscure place in the suburbs of heaven, but in the very heart, at the very side of Jesus. You will be with me, Jesus says. isn't Isn't that like God's grace? We ask for a little piece of bread, so to speak, and we end up holding the whole pantry. We ask for God to save this certain person, and he ends up saving the whole family. For years, the church prays that the doors of communist Russia would open so we could get some Bibles to the people there. And he opens up a door, then a few windows, and eventually he tears down the wall and the very foundations of communist rule and and, and thought. We need to grasp the fact 
that our Lord is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Remember me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The grace of our Lord extends beyond all we ask. I will never forget, just before COVID, Janet and I hadn't been to an auction for some time. And there was an auctioneer in Oxbridge who hosted uh, auction every Wednesday night. We hadn't been and we wanted to see what it was like. I wasn't unfamiliar with the whole thing. My parents, my parents took me as a child to auctions all the time. My mom was an antique nut. And I knew from experience, I knew from experience that going to auction after auction as a young man, a young kid, oh, we went to a lot of auctions. <laughs> anyway, you have to hold back. You have to listen to the auctioneer and listen to his banter and and get an idea of what he's saying. Otherwise, you may end up buying something you don't want. Well, this particular auctioneer had a phrase that he would use when he held up two identical things, two lampstands. And his phrase was, times the money. Which meant, if you bid $5, you didn't get the pair for $5. It, no, 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 no. You had to pay twice the money. It, it was $5 each. $10 total times the money. That's what he would say. So I'm standing back and I'm watching the auctioneer. It, it, it was a hall with, with tables. And he would stand on one side of the table and the crowd. And they'd go down the tables and he'd auction off the junk that's on there. No, no, no. Good stuff. Good stuff. And I see over there, at the end of this table here, is a little boy about 12 years old, and he's standing at the end of the aisle, and he's got a, he's got a bidding card in his hand, and he's got a look of determination. And right beside him are two Star Wars Lego sets. Finally, the auctioneer comes to where he's standing, and he begins to auction off the Lego sets. Right beside him, right beside that little boy, is a 40-year-old boy who also wants the Lego sets, and he's got his bidding, and he's got a look of determination, too. And what the boy didn't realize is that the auctioneer was saying, times the money. So for each bid he made, it was twice as much. Auctioneer began. Who'll give me 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20? Who'll give me 20? And he, the boy's got right in the action right away. But so did the 40-year-old man. 25, 25, 25, 25, 30, 30, 30, 35, 35, 35, 40, 40, 40, said to the boy. You know the auctioneer wanted the boy to get these Legos. 40, he says. Sold. Times the money. $80. And the boy goes, what? I can't pay that. The auctioneer's frustrated, he's worked hard, a bit stunned, he rolls his eyes, and he says, I have to put them up for bid again. And the boy stands there, dejected and humiliated, as the Lego sets that he had his heart set on gets auctioned off to the man standing beside him. And the next moment, roll in my mind like slow motion, the crowd begins to move 
following the auctioneer. So you wouldn't have seen what happens next if you weren't looking. The man picks up the two Lego sets and he turns to the boy and he says, which one would you like? And the boy says, but I didn't, I didn't even bid. I know. Which one would you like? The boy was experiencing grace. And he did what many of us do when we experience grace. He reached for his wallet. He tried to pay for it. And he opened up his wallet and he said, all I have is 20, a 20. And and the man said, no, 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 no. I'm giving you a set. Which one would you like? Boy couldn't believe it. He hesitantly pointed at one. I'm sure he was still wondering there were some strings attached to the whole thing. And the man handed him the Starfighter Lego set. And the boy took it and he walked out dumbfounded. And I'm so thankful God didn't end the lesson there. Because almost five minutes later, my wife and I decided to leave. There was nothing we wanted, and so we went out the big barn doors, leaving the crowd behind to the parking lot. And there was the boy, clasping his Lego set in one hand and the waist of his mother in his other hand. And big tears were running down his cheeks, and he was sobbing, and he was telling the story to his mom. And I heard him say, he just gave it to me, mom. He just gave it to me. The boy experienced grace and received a Lego set. You and I, have experienced grace. And we've received forgiveness of sin. Not only that, but a right standing before God. Not only that, but the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but hope and peace and joy and purpose and steadfastness in the light, in the midst of storm. We've received life, life to the full, and there's nothing to pay. There's nothing we can pay. It's all been made possible before us because the man, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, stood beside us and laid down his life for you and for me. We've received it all as a gift. He just gave it to you. And as we remembered, he paid the price for it on the cross. Just gave it to you. It's grace that extends to all times. It's grace that extends to all people. It extends beyond all that we ask. Fourthly, finally, It is grace that ushers us right into the presence of God. Today, Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. This is astounding, an amazing promise that God gives to each one of us who believes. In the book of Hebrews, we read that Jesus is our high priest who lives forever. And therefore, we read in chapter 7, verse 25, he is able to save completely or forever those who come to him, or rather who come to God through him. If we are saved by grace, we are secure in that grace, and we know that that grace will usher us right into heaven. 
Some people say, you know, there's no, there's no way of knowing that you're saved until you die. But there isn't one passage in Scripture that gives us reason to doubt our own salvation. I know my Redeemer lives. Job uh, chapter 19, verse 25. In him I believe. I know that I have passed from death to life. 1 John three fourteen. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. 2 Timothy 1, 12. I know, I know, I know. That's the way scripture speaks in regard to heaven. My friends, if you do not know today that your name is written in heaven, if you do not know that your name is in the reservation book of heaven, scripture calls it the Lamb's book of life, do not sleep tonight until you do know. Many people say, well, in order to get to heaven, you need to live a good moral life. But the teaching of Jesus contradicts that. All we must do is cry help and believe in Jesus Christ. God welcomes home anyone who will have him. And in fact, he's made the first move in the person of Jesus. Do not rest until you know that your name is written in the reservation book of heaven. And if you know it, oh, if you know it, you can rejoice. It's the most wonderful thing to know that your name is written in heaven. We need not fear death. We need not worry about life beyond the grave. We need not worry about life on this side of the grave. We can rejoice in our living today because we have the favor of the almighty God. We can sing. We can dance. We can work. We can play. We can live without trying to live up to some standard you may think that God has. Sure, we seek to do his will. Sure, we seek to obey him. But we do that not to win his favor, but because we already have his favor. God has accepted you. God has welcomed you as his child through his grace. Have faith in the fact, and it changes all of life for you. We can rejoice to know that when we die, we will be with Jesus in paradise. Many people ask, what is heaven like? Some say, well, think of the best place you can think of in this world, and that's what it will be like. If you like golfing, it will be a large golf course. If you like sitting on the porch of your cottage and having morning coffee, that's what heaven will be like for you. If you like cooking, it will be a large kitchen. If you like curling, it will have a large curling rink. But I can think of nothing more plain and unappealing. Do you know what will make heaven heaven? Do you know what will make heaven heaven? It is that Jesus will be there. The lover of our heart, the redeemer of our soul, the shepherd who led us to the gate, the lamb who bore away our sin, the king of kings and lord of lords. We will be with him and we will see him face to face. What a day that will be. And it is all because of his grace made possible by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. What is so amazing about grace? We can answer, can't we? God's grace is unmerited, undeserved favor toward us is amazing. Because it extends to all times. It extends to all people. It is beyond anything that we ask. 
and it ushers us right into the presence of God. That is what is so amazing about God's grace. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Amen.